بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب let's have a quick recap of some of what what we covered last week so we mentioned about the atheists now the atheists they are of three levels who can mention those three levels what's the basic level of an atheist as far as their honesty is concerned huh? about how honest they are concerning their atheism were you here last week if you weren't here then you won't know Jazakallah khair for trying Tafadhal ya Okay, they fit into the pyramid mm, But who's at the bottom of the pyramid? Mm, they're at the top of the pyramid who's, who's at the bottom? The commoners Yeah, the general ones They're, you know, the, they're like sheep Yeah, they just follow What's being told What's being said to them if you were to ask them themselves for the proof and for the evidence, they'll say, we have proof, we have evidence. But if you were to actually put them on the spot, say, give me the proof, they're not going to be able to give you that proof. Then you have to explain it to them themselves, that this thing that you claim is the reason behind you coming to existence. Any evolution? That you, don't, you yourself don't know what you're on about. When they say we have evidence for evolution, then what is it that they're referring to? Micro-evolution, that's, ev that's the evidence that they have. Micro-evolution, that's an evolution, a form of evolution, that even we don't have a problem with. We can clearly see it. What's micro-evolution? Yeah, for example, uh, yeah, it's a change of genes. Right? Child is born, he's different to the father. How did that happen? Mutation of a gene. So we can clearly see that happening. But what they say when they talk about evolution is another definition of evolution. And that is macroevolution. For example, monkeys changing into human beings. Sea animals changing into land animals. And so on and so forth. So they, don't, they themselves, they don't know what they're on about anyhow. But they just follow what their scientists, or in reality, what their prophets, their, their, what they consider to be prophets. In reality, they have put them in the position of a prophet. They have iman in it, even though they themselves haven't seen it. They have faith in it, even though they haven't seen it. But we have iman in our prophets and our messengers, because they have proofs and evidences and signs that clearly show that they are truthful. So that's the first level. Those atheists that basically don't know what they're talking about, they're just like sheep. They follow what their, what their, what their leaders are saying. Second, second level. He doesn't know. The second level, he knows. He knows very well. First level, the basic level of people, are, are the majority of the people. They have no clue. But, but it's because it's put in their school textbooks, it's because it's on TV, it's because it's, it's becoming the common thing, so they just, they just follow it like sheep. 
That's the basic level. But then there's a second level. Level higher than that. Huh? Yeah. So they have an agenda. That's right. They have an agenda. The second level of atheists, they know that this uh, 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 belief system in reality that they are propagating, it's a fake, it's a weak belief system. They know how, it, how weak it is, but they have an agenda. That's a rid society of religion. And thus, and on that basis, they are going to hide. And we mentioned what Richard Dawkins said. What does Richard Dawkins say? He said that I know that this model of evolution, that it's a theory, it's just a, it, is, it is just a model from amongst the different models. But if I can get people to accept it as a fact, if I can get people to be convinced that it's a fact, then that's my job done. It's, if, it's going to be much more easier for me to essentially achieve my agenda if I can just get people to think, uh, think of it as a fact. Number three, oh, the people that are at the top of the pyramid. Pious, they're, yeah, they're not pious. Then. Yeah, they're honest. Okay, why are they honest? Okay, okay. Should we ask the person that was telling you the answer? All right, go on, you tell us. No, they don't say that. They're, they're honest because of the fact that they admit to why they're atheists. The bottom level, why are they atheists? Because everyone else is doing it, right? Second level, why are they so active about it? Because they have an agenda, but they know it's bottle. They know it's wrong. They know that it's a, it's a, it's a weak model. The, the other level, the top level, are what we call honest atheists. Honest from which angle? Honest in the sense of... We are atheists not because we have convincing evidence and proof for it, but we're atheists because we don't want there to be a creator in the first place. And then there's a, uh, there's a syndrome that they've been diagnosed with. Does anybody remember the name of that syndrome? Cosmic authority syndrome. Right? They have a fear they don't want there to be a creator. Because once you start to recognize a creator and a maker, once you acknowledge that, then you know that you are responsible and you're accountable before him. You want to say something? Exactly, yeah, that's right. So they know that if we acknowledge the fact, and if there is a creator, then we're gonna if there is a creator, then we're gonna be accountable before him. Everything that I do, I'm responsible for it. Life isn't now meaningless, it has an actual inherent meaning behind it. I can't live life as and how I want based upon my base desires. So these people, they have admitted themselves. You find some of their statements saying, I forgot the name of the guy, but one of the prominent atheists saying, it's not the case that we believe that there, or it's not the case that we have proof that there is no God, but it's the fact that we don't want to, I don't want to believe that there is a God. Cosmic authority syndrome. Ayyub. So leading on from there, so that is one of the four matters concerning having Iman in Allah Jalla wa Ala. Number one, Iman in his existence. Number two, 
Iman in Allah consists of four matters. Number one, Iman in his existence. Number two, Rububiyah, Tayyab. Rububiyah, what's that? The Lordship of Allah. Ya'ani, Allah Jalla wa'ala's actions. Allah is one. Allah is unique in his actions. Nobody has any share in that regard. The actions of Allah, nobody else is an associate with Allah in those actions. Only Allah does those actions. The Tawheed of Allah as far as his rububiyah, his Lordship is concerned, can go back to three matters. What are those three matters? Number one, Al-Khalq, creating. Meaning that Allah is one and he's, he's unique in creating from, in creating. Okay, Allah is one and unique in creating, but we find ayat in the Quran where Allah, he says, such and such a people created something. Such and such a people created something. So how do we understand, <coughs> how do we understand that? Allah is say, we are saying Tawheed al-Rububiyyah is Allah, Allah is one and unique in creating. But at the same time we see the word Yakhluq, Khalq, being used for other, for, for other people from amongst creation. Allah says in the Quran, such and such a nation created dwelling places out of mountains. He used the word Yakhluqun, creating. Did we not just say a minute ago that only Allah is the one that creates? So how do we understand that? Huh? Got two answers here. Yes, sir. They can't create anything like Allah creates? Okay, very, very close. Ahsant. Uh. The difference is, when we say Allah creates, that is creating from nothing. There's nothing there. And then it comes into existence. Only Allah can do that. But when the word khalq is used, creating is used for us human beings, for example, then what is intended is tahwil, transformation. That's essentially what it means. There is a tree there. Human beings can transform that tree into a table. There is rock there. Human beings can transform that rock into a dwelling place. There's metal there, there's rubber there, people can transform it into a car, and so on and so forth. So Allah Jalla wa'ala, He is unique in three matters. When we speak about Allah's rububiyyah, He's unique in three matters. Khalq, creating. Second matter. Second matter. Huh? Who can give... That's a sifa of Allah, that's an, uh, an attribute of Allah Jalla wa'ala. So when we speak about the names and attributes, we're going to speak about that. But the, uh, unique in what? He's unique in, so uh, as far as Allah's Lordship is concerned, that goes back to three matters. When we say Allah is a Lord, what do we mean by that? We mean three things. He is the creator. Number two, uh, that's one of them. Sustainer, controller of everything that exists in this universe, everything uh, that is created. So khalq, tadbir, so khalq, tadbir, khalq, creating. Number two, tadbir, managing, regulating, controlling. Number three, huh? okay, that, that would uh, uh, 
that would go under uluhiyah. That's his right. Uh, that he is the one that legislates for creation. Uh. Something else. I'm only the only reason why I'm asking the question is because I've done it before. Right here in Bolton, we've covered these issues before. Provided that enters into tadbir, sustaining the universe, maintaining the universe. Okay, let's give an example to make it clear. I make a phone. I make a phone. I could easily just give you the answer, but I want to give you an example so it become, becomes a bit more clearer, so you remember better. I make a phone. If the phone breaks, right, you come to me, I'll fix it. I'm the one that fixes the phone. But my wife is the one that owns, my, my wife is the one that has it. I gave it away there. Right? I made it. I maintain it. But my wife owns it. Okay? So now, when it comes to the universe, the universe is created by Allah. The universe is run and managed and sustained by Allah. But we're missing one thing. Ah. Yeah, that's right. Ownership. He is the soul owner of the universe he is the sovereign possessor of the universe and nobody has a share with him in that regard it isn't the case that parts of the universe are owned by Allah and somebody else has another, owns another part no, absolute ownership of the alameen alameen basically everything besides Allah is in Allah's hands so that's three things we'll mention them again so that you remember number one, khalq, creating number two, mulk, owning number three, tadbir Controlling. So that is as, as far as Allah's rububiyah is concerned. Now what does this necessitate? This necessity, if it is the case that Allah, He is the one that made me, He is the one that owns me, I'm His possession, my eyes, my nose, my breathing system, my children, my wealth, all of that is Allah's, Allah owns it. That's from his mulk. That's what he owns. That Allah, he is the one that takes care of me as well. He takes care of my breathing system, my eyes, my hearing, everything, my children. If it is the case that Allah created me, owns me, takes care of me, then what does that necessitate? What does that now demand? Ascent, that you worship him. And that therefore leads us to Tawheed al-Uluhiyah. If it is the case, we see that Allah Jalla wa'ala, Allah Jalla wa'ala, he has clearly given us irada, a will. He's given us a will. We have the ability to choose. We can choose. We have a desire, a will, an intent to choose what we want to do. We have a free will. And he's given us qudra. He's given us ability. If he's given us irada, will, intent, and he's given us qudra, ability, that means what? That means that we are responsible for our actions. We're accountable for the things that we do. You can't just get away scot-free with, with what you do in life. You're responsible now. It isn't the case that, you know, you have a will and a wish and a want to worship him, for example. But he, doesn't, he didn't give you the ability. He's given you the ability. 
So everything that you need to be accountable now for what you do is there. You have a free will and you, and you have udra, you have ability. Everything that you need to be responsible for your actions, it's there now. You have a free will and you have qudra, you have ability. And therefore Allah Jalla has obligated upon human and jinn kind to single him out in worship. And therefore we say, Tawheed al-Rububiyyah necessitates Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. It demands from us Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. If Allah, if Allah Jalla made us, created us, owns us, sustains us, then that demands from us that we worship him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Grant him thanks for what he's given us. The details of that, no doubt, is via prophets and messengers. You can't determine what is it that my maker wants. What are the details about my maker? I want to know more about my maker. I want to know more about his actions. I want to know more about his characteristics. Those characteristics that are, that are going to give me um, a greater degree of incentive in worshipping him and getting closer to him. Those details you can't determine using your own mind. Those details about him and the afterlife and, and what is in store for the one that fulfills the purpose of life can only be attained by, by what? The details of life, the details of who my creator is, the details of what I'm meant to do here in this life can't be attained by basic reflection. Basic reflection, by way of basic reflection, you arrive at certain attributes of your creator he has knowledge he has power i should be thankful to him but in terms of the detailed program of how to thank him that can only be arrived at through yeah but that the detailed aspects of worship for example how to pray uh, the prophets and messengers that is why allah sends the prophets and messengers to explain to us the detailed program of this life and how to fulfill the purpose of the life. So we've covered three aspects so far concerning Allah Jalla wa'ala. Having Iman in Him consists of Iman in His Wujud, Iman in His Rububiyyah, and Iman in His Uluhiyyah. What's the fourth matter? Anybody besides the little kids, Ya Ikhwan? Anybody going to provide an answer from the little, besides the little children? Where are the big children today? Not, I don't mean by that, Ya Ikhwan. <laughs> that I'm calling the brothers big, I'm calling the brothers children. Uh, just from Muda'aba, just out of Muda'aba, out of friendly brotherly love. Tfadil yaakhi. Asma'u sifat. I'll give you the next one, okay? Shuf, mashallah. You've got children huffing and puffing because they don't get to answer. Concerning that, concerning the paradise, let the competitors compete. Mashallah. Asma'u sifat. Allah's names and attributes. So there are principles concerning Allah's names and attributes. Number one, that we believe in every single name and attribute that Allah has mentioned in His book or mentioned upon the tongue of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, we affirm them. Every single name, every single sifa, characteristic of Allah, that's in the Quran or in the authentic sunnah, we affirm it, we believe in it, we accept it. That's one matter. Second matter, 
every single name, every single attribute, every single characteristic of Allah Jalla wa Ala that He has negated. He has negated it, denied it, negated it. This is not my characteristic. I do not do this. This is not how I am. This is not my name. Every single name and characteristic that Allah has made nafi of, nafi, negated, every single name and attribute that Allah has negated of in His book or in the Sunnah, we negate it as well. So for example, Allah Jalla wa Ala, He has said in His book, He is Sami' the all-hearing. We affirm that without any problem. He has said in the Quran, He rises above uh, the Arsh, He rose above the Arsh, we affirm that. He descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night, we affirm that. He negates sleep from Him, we negate that. He negates uh, being uh, some. Uh, being of any need, we negate him being of any need, and so on and so forth. So we do these two things. Everything that is in the book and the sunnah concerning Allah's names and attributes, we affirm it. Everything that is in the book and the sunnah negating an attribute of Allah, we negate it. Without falling in to four things. Allah says in the Quran that he has an attribute, we affirm it. Without falling into four things. Number one. Denying them. Denying them. Allah says in the Quran that he has the attribute of hearing. He's a Samir. But we deny that. Don't accept that he actually is the one that sees and hears. Allah says in the Quran, He is the one. Allah spoke to Musa in speech. That's the that's the ayah. Allah spoke to Musa in speech. No, no, he doesn't. We don't accept that. We don't accept the meaning behind that. We know that speech has a meaning. That meaning we deny that. So we don't do that. We don't do what the Jahmiyyah did. We don't deny the attributes of Allah Jalla wa Second thing, we don't make tahrif of them. We don't distort the meaning. So we're not denying the meaning. We're distorting the meaning now. We're giving it an allegorical meaning. For example, just like last week I mentioned, the example of a table. Do you remember? I was trying to say that the uh, atheists, when they, say, when they talk about evolution, it's just a play of words. They change the goalposts of the definition of evolution. For example, if I was to say to you, give me a table, and then you end up bringing to me a piece of paper that's got a graph on it, or the periodic table, or some type of table, as in a scientific or mathematical table. Clearly, that isn't what I, what I intend. That is not what, what I intended. Right? That's what the atheists do. When they say evolution, we've got evidence for it, then you know the definition of evolution it changes with them. So now, in, even in this context here, what do these people do? They make tahrif of the attributes of Allah. They distort the attributes of Allah. They give them allegorical meanings. Meanings that aren't the apparent meaning that comes to mind. 
So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in his book that he has a waj, a face. Uh, no, what he really means by that, the Ash'ari will say, what he really means by that is glory. This is tahrif. This is changing the apparent meaning that's there. Allah says in the Quran that it is a Quran al mubin It is a Quran that is manifest, clear. Tilka, uh, 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 these are the ayat. Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabi la'allakum ta'qilun. He said in Surah Yusuf, indeed we have revealed the Quran in an Arabic tongue. We have revealed it as an Arabic recital. Why? So that you may understand it. You understand something when it's manifest. The meaning is manifest. So these people, they go and distort the meaning, give it allegorical meanings. Allah says in the Quran that he istawa ala al-arsh, he rose above the arsh. They say what he means by that is istawla, he conquered the arsh. So we don't do that. Number one, we don't deny them. We don't make ta'atil. We don't do number two, tahrif, distort them, give them allegorical meanings. Number three, we don't make tashbih. Liken the attributes to creation. We don't say that Allah Jalla wa'ala has a face that's like my face. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has hands that are like my hands. That Allah Jalla wa'ala, he has the sifa of love, the characteristic of hate, that is like my love and your hate. That Allah Jalla wa'ala, he has the attribute of hearing, the attribute of seeing, and it's like my hearing, it's like your, your seeing. No, we don't do that. Because, just because he has an attribute, and we have an attribute, and the name of the attribute is the same, doesn't mean that the actual modality and the nature of the attribute is the same. For example, I have the attribute of seeing. All of us here, we have the attribute of seeing. And an eagle has an attribute of seeing. Is the kaifia, the nature of my seeing and your seeing identical and the same as the way that the eagle sees? Big difference, isn't it? I have a hand. You might find certain animals that have a hand. Uh, are, our, are our hands the same? No. Brother, see, I can see they have faces. A chimpanzee has a face. Does that mean now that our faces, other faces, are the faces that are the same as chimpanzees? No, obviously not. So if there is such a difference between the attributes of created entities, you have, the, you have a bird, you have an eagle that sees, and you have a human being that sees. Both of them have the attribute of seeing. But the nature, the modality, the kaifiyah of the attribute is different. If it is the case that the modality and the nature of the attributes between creation is different, then how much more the creator? Another example. You have life. Because this is the belief of the Asha'ira. This is the belief of the, the people that have been influenced by philosophy. Say to the Ash'ari, do you have life? You say yes. Does Allah have life? 
Yes, he has life. Okay, خلاص, then you have become uh, a mumathil. You have now likened Allah to creation as per your understanding. Because you're saying that you are negating Allah Jalla wa'ala from having the attribute of uh, seeing or hearing. Because we the human beings see and hear, then you might as well, might as well do that with, with life as well. But the fact is that we have life and Allah has life, that doesn't mean that the nature of our life is the same. Because our life is something that is preceded by non-existence, succeeded by death. Allah Jalla wa'ala, his, his attribute of life is perfect. Succeeded, preceded by, uh, he is the first before, before whom there is none. He is the last after whom there is none. So Allah Jalla wa'ala, he has attributes but they're perfect. But we have attributes but they're not perfect. They are imperfect. So we the human beings, just because we have a certain attribute doesn't mean that the Creator, He has the same attributes as far as the nature is concerned. But that is the actual reason why the Asha'ira are Asha'ira. There are people that negate the attributes of Allah and give them allegorical meanings because they liken Allah Jalla wa'ala to the creation. They don't realize that Allah Jalla wa'ala he has the attributes of life, and just like you, the human being, has the attributes of life, and his, his life is, no, is not like your life, and he has other attributes, and those attributes are like your attributes. Tayyib, number four. Takif. That you don't ask about the nature, ask about the modality, ask about the howness of his attribute. In this regard, a man once came into the masjid, Imam Malik, he was there. And the man, he said, يَقُولُ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَىٰ الرَّحْمَانَ عَلَىٰ الْعَرْشِ اسْتَوَىٰ The ever-merciful rose above his throne. كَيْفَ الْإِسْتِوَىٰ How is الْإِسْتِوَىٰ How did Allah rise above the arsh? Why is he saying that? What's making him say that? Because he's trying to imagine Allah Jalla wa'ala rise above an arsh. How can you do that when your eyes haven't seen Allah Jalla wa'az? Just like, for example, a baby that is inside the womb of his mother. If somehow you are able to communicate with the fetus when it's inside of the womb and tell him, do you know, outside this belly that you're in, there's another realm. Outside of that, there is other fluid. You, you have this fluid, there's other fluid. There's Coca-Cola, there's Pepsi, there's squash, uh, uh, um, freshly squeezed orange juice. Will the child be able to, will the baby, the fetus, be able to relate to that? He can't relate to that because he hasn't seen it. Or for example, you tell him, you know, outside of this realm that you're in, there are tall buildings. Well, what do you mean tall buildings? He can't relate to that. Or for example, if there's a man and he is blind, and then for a split second, he is granted vision, is able to see. So when he opens his eyes, the only thing that he sees is a cockerel. And then straight after that, he's, he's blind again. What's he going to do? He's going to make them feel. He's going to liken anything and everything that he is after having seen that cockerel. He just saw that cockerel. He opened his eyes, he saw a cockerel. And then he went blind again. After that, if you say to him, oh, there's a car there and its color is red. It's red. What do you mean by red? How does it relate to the cockerel? Right? Because that's the only thing that he's seen. 
So now Allah Jalla wa Ala, He's told us about Himself. He's told us about certain attributes of His. Why? So that we can, it's an incentive for us to worship Him. It's an incentive for us to get closer to Him. We know what love is. We know what love is. And we know that we have a Lord that loves. Ah, that makes me love Him. That makes me yearn for Him. We know what anger is. We know what anger is. And we know that we have a Lord that does have the characteristic of anger. How is His nature of the anger? Allah knows best. That is something that is beyond our ability. As far as ihata, as far as uh, encompassing His attributes, that is beyond our ability. But we understand what anger means. And we know that we have a Lord that has the characteristic of anger. Okay, so now we become fearful. We become scared. We become frightened of Him. So Allah has given us this knowledge so that we can get close to Him. But He hasn't given it to us so that we can have ihata of Him. So that we can fully encompass Him. Just like you're not able to fully encompass the sea when you stand at it. So now the person who's seen the cockerel, he's going to liken everything that he has seen to the cockerel. What do you mean there's a red building? How does it relate to the cockerel? What do you mean it's fast? How does that relate to the cockerel? What do you mean it's beautiful? How does it relate to the cockerel? So now the person who says, how did Allah rise above the arsh? Oh, that's a, a pointless question. Because regardless of what I say of how Allah rose above the arsh, you're not going to be able to understand, you're not going to be able to encompass it. Why? Because you, Allah Jalla wa'ala, is someone that you have not seen. If it is the case that Jannah, paradise itself, the Messenger said, that, the, that, that, that Allah Jalla wa'ala said, أَعْدَدْتُ لِعِبَادِي مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذُنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَى قَلْبِ بَشَرٍ That Allah, He said about paradise, I have prepared for my righteous slaves that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart can ever even imagine. If it is the case that I speak about the palaces of paradise and you try to imagine it, and regardless of how beautiful you try to imagine it to be, it's beyond that. If it is the case that I speak about the women in paradise, and regardless of how much description I give, and the description of, of the women of paradise, the more I give it to you, the more shock, the more yearning you're going to have for paradise, no doubt. But regardless of how much I try to describe it, you're not going to know exactly what they look like. You're not going to know exactly what, yani, what they look like. And that is just paradise. Yani, regardless of what you imagine about paradise in your head, you can't imagine what it is actually like in reality. That is paradise. How about the creator of paradise? So the question, how did Allah rise above the arsh? His action of rising is beyond your ability. Your ability to encompass. Regardless of what you imagine, you can't imagine it. So for that reason, when the man came, and he said to Imam, uh, Imam Malik, كيف الاستوى? How, is, how did Allah rise above the arsh? What did Imam Malik say? Did Imam Malik say, you know what, you have your opinion, you know, it's a, it's a good question, um, but to be honest with you, you shouldn't really be asking this. Or, okay, that's a school of thought. You've asked a question. You see, the school of thought that I come from, as far as Aqidah is concerned, we're not really allowed to entertain these type of questions. I know the school, school of thought, right, the philosophical school of thought that you come from, they entertain these type of questions. Imam Malik, he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, 
accommodate this type of uh, questioning. He said to him, Al-Istiwa ma'loom. The meaning of rising is known. Wal-Kayf majhul. How Allah rose above the arsh is unknown. Wal-Imanu bihi wajib. Having iman in the fact that Allah rose above the arsh, it's simple and it's wajib. Simple, easy. Allah rose above the arsh. Allah said it. Khalas, I believe in it. How he did it? That is beyond, that is beyond, that is beyond me. And I, I'm, not, I'm not obligated to know how the nature of him rising above the arsh occurred. I just need to know that he said he rose above the arsh and khalas, I have iman in it. Istiwa is known. How is unknown? Having iman in it is wajib. But asking about it is an innovation. And then Imam Malik, he said, I do not see you to be anything besides an innovator. And then he told him to get out. Or he had him removed from the masjid. That is the way that the people of Bid'ah are meant to be dealt with as far as those people that it is known. They have come with an agenda. As for the common Joe, as for the common person, he doesn't know, he does Mawlid, he doesn't know. He's gone to some Darul Uloom and he studied there and he's been taught some beliefs of the Ashairah. He doesn't know. A lot of these people, they don't know. And therefore, they are educated. So not these type of people. No doubt these people with good manners and good etiquette. They are taught and they are educated. As for the one that has an agenda, he doesn't, he's not murid lil haqq, he doesn't intend the truth. But he has an agenda to spread his poison. That type of person isn't entertained. So that is as far as the names and attributes of Allah is concerned. Who can give us a quick recap? Of the names and attributes. Principles related to the names and attributes. Ah, Faisal. Number, so number one, we, we believe in every single attribute that's in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. No. Number two, we believe in every, yani we negate every single attribute that Allah Jalla has negated in, in his book or in the Sunnah. Mm. Alright, so we believe in these attributes without doing four things. Tayyip, <coughs> what's the first thing? We don't deny we don't deny them, yeah. Number two. We don't distort the meaning, give them allegorical meanings. Number three. We don't liken them to creation. Number four. Yeah. You don't ask, you don't inquire about the nature of the attribute, right? For example, what's the nature of how a bird sees? I can inquire about it because it's there. What's the nature? But about Allah Jalla wa'ala, you can't do that. Why? Because regardless of whatever you try to imagine, He's greater than that. He's beyond, yeah, and He's greater than that. And then we gave certain examples how when you have limited knowledge of something, then you're limited in terms of encompassing the reality of that thing. For example, the child that's in the womb, or the, uh, uh, um, or the blind man that's, or the rooster. What time are we, on? are we on right now? How much time have we spent so far? We spent 44 minutes. You know, I actually thought today that we're going to finish. Iman Billah wal Malaika wal Kutub wal Rusul. 
I thought that we're going to complete that. <coughs> yeah. What time is Aisha? Alas, I'm already seeing brothers falling asleep, so I'll have mercy upon you. Inshallah ta'ala, next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll complete the six pillars of Iman. Allah ta'ala, a'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyana Muhammad, walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.